Dog Training and welcome to another episode of Dog Talk. Today we're going to talk about how to rescue a dog from a shelter. The process I'm going to go over in making this journey smoother will however also apply to any other situation where you bring a new dog into your home. So it's not all shelter specific, although there are some things that will apply only to shelters because that allows you to do a couple of things that may not be possible in other scenarios. But generally, most of the, the things I'm going to discuss will be beneficial to you if you bring a new dog home, regardless of where the dog is actually from. And there's nothing wrong with rescuing or rescuing with a, a purchasing a dog from a reputable breeder. So don't let anybody tell you that going to a breeder and getting a puppy that is well-bred, maintained breed standards, has certified health, you know it all the way back to the grandparents, all these things, is a bad thing. It's not. Um, some people believe that is, but that's not the case. Despite the pet overpopulation that we do have, without proper breeding and without reputable breeders who breed towards the breed standards and breed towards the health and breed towards the breed characteristics and attributes, the breeds would all disappear because the breeds are human creations. Uh, the dogs ultimately come from the wolves and we have created all these different dog breeds through selective breeding over the years, years, decades, centuries, right? And if that stops, if that no longer occurs, the breeds will all disappear. And the dog breeds that you love will disappear. So there's nothing wrong with buying breeds from dog breeders as long as they are reputable breeders. So just make sure that if you do that, you have someone who puts a lot of effort into the health of their dogs, who has a lot of genetic testing done where you get information back to the grandparents and maybe even further. Um, somebody who can answer all the questions about the dog, the lion, the broad, and your puppy in particular. So you, you can identify a reputable breeder very easily. One of the criteria is most of them are not that wealthy because they put all the money back into the dogs. So just from a breeding perspective, the, the breeders that are really wealthy are usually not the good ones. They keep a lot of the money and don't invest in the health of their dogs. But this is not about dog breeding. Just as a side note, don't let anybody tell you that get, getting a dog from a breeder is a bad thing. It's not. It's not. Uh, we do it for service dogs regularly because we need to assure certain, certain standards and attributes are met. So there's nothing wrong with that. But this talk is about, or this, this podcast is about how to bring a dog into the home and some specifics around how to do it with a shelter when you rescue. And obviously when you rescue a dog, you don't really know anything about the background of this dog. So the shelter will tell you all kinds of things. They will make all kinds of statements about what they think the background is or what they have heard or what somebody told them. Or in some cases, somebody who surrendered the dog told them doesn't mean that any of that is actually true. So whatever you see in the shelter and hear in the shelter about the dog, take it with a grain of salt unless it's first-hand experience of observing the dog while they were in the shelter. So that would be the first point. Second, if the, um, the breed of the dog that the shelter tells you it is may not be the breed of the dog you're looking at either. So I so many times where people say, oh, that's a mix and that's this and that, and that's not a pit bull. No, no, that's a lab mix. Uh, it's often not true, and it's not necessarily malicious. It's just they don't know. They can't know. Unless you do a genetic test, you really don't know what you're dealing with. And that's not going to happen in a shelter either. Right? So 
And so when you're rescued from a shelter, you have no information about this dog. The breed may be obvious. When you look at him, may not be her, may not be obvious. And then only a genetic test will actually tell you what the mix is. So now the other thing is when you rescue a dog from a shelter, they will be neutered and they will be spayed. And these are the standard procedures. So there's no option of a vasectomy. There's no option of the ovarian sparring spay because the veterinarians at the shelter are usually not board certified veterinarians who would be the only ones to be able to perform these better surgeries when it comes to sterilization. So you're going to get a dog that is neutered or spayed by default. That has health implications or can have health implications, especially if the dog's really young. So it's something to, to consider and factor in when you, when you do that because there's no option. The shelter will not give you the dog without spay and neuter. So it's one of those things. It's not even about breeding. It's really literally about health. Right? Okay, so a couple of side notes on this. Now, so how, how do we do this best? What do I recommend you do? So when the time comes to add a dog to the family, a new dog to the family, an additional dog, or your first dog, and you want to rescue, it's a beautiful thing. You should sit together as a family and decide what do we want to do with our dog? How active are we? How much time can we spend with the dog? And what is the general lifestyle that we envision to have with our dog? That can already inform if you want to go for a younger dog or an older dog. Because if you have a really young energetic puppy that you end up rescuing and you don't have a lot of time, that's probably going to lead to some problems. So an older dog that is four or five years old could be a much better choice. That may be a dog that his owner may have died or his owner may have died or unfortunate circumstances put him in a shelter. There's nothing wrong necessarily with shelter dogs. So you could get a wonderful dog who is no longer that super energetic and just was like perfectly happy sleeping a lot and just lying around more. Could be a much better choice for your family. So make sure you, you consider the energy level that your family has and the things you want to do with them. If you're an avid hiker, well, it's someone younger. If you want to ride, bike a lot or run a lot or do something very active all the time, get a dog that can keep up. If that's not your lifestyle, maybe rescue a dog that's a little older and doesn't even want to do that. So something to consider from that perspective. And then obviously to breed, decide as a family what's the right breed. And you want to do a little bit of research in that by checking out what the characteristics of the breeds are, what the breed standards are, and what they are most likely going to be like, how big they're going to be if they're younger initially, and um, what, what, what the dog is probably going to require in terms of lifestyle maintenance and all, all these things. So the breed will have an effect on that because we created the breed through selective breeding, so they all have different attributes and they're all going to be different in some way. That, that can make a big difference for you as a new dog owner. So understanding that's important. But if you go to a shelter now, you may not get the purebred dog, so you end up often with mixes. And then the question is, are you okay with both types of mixes? Well, that, that, that in, are in this dog because chances are that's going to be a, a mixed attribute list as well, although not necessarily. Genetics is a funny thing. <laughs> so uh, you don't really know at the end of the day what the behavior is going to be like, but you have to be ready for anything in both mixes or three mixes or whatever the dog looks like. And unless you get to DNA test the dog later once you actually own him, you won't really know what's in the dog either. So if it's a complete mutt, who knows? That shouldn't deter you from rescuing that dog 
but these are things to consider and to factor in. Those are all just things to think about. They're not um, determinate factors or rejection factors. They shouldn't be. It may not matter to you at all. It's just something you should think about because it's important to understand what you're getting yourself into. So now when you go to the shelter and you have children, let's talk about that for a moment, and they're younger, and you have younger children, I strongly advise you to go to the, to the shelter yourself as parents, just adults, and pre-select a couple of dogs that your kids will get to see. So, because what ends up happening if you just go as a family to a shelter without prep and the kid sees, oh, I like this dog, he's so cute. And you end up with this dog and this may be a complete mismatch for your family in so many ways. So you want to kind of pre-select based on what you've decided as a family is best for you, what you're kind of looking for. Maybe there are a couple of breeds you have thought about that may be okay, a couple of different options. And then you go to the shelter as parents and you pick. You pick three, four dogs that meet all your criteria. And then the next time you come, ideally quickly because they can be adopted out any moment, right? But the next time you come, you let your kids only see those dogs. And then whatever your kids pick out of those three, four dogs, you know it's going to be okay. So you kind of work around of the emotional quick decisions that kids often want to push their parents into and usually succeed, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> um, so if the kid wants the dog, the parents usually just say yes. And that's not necessarily going to be the greatest outcome. So I suggest you pre-select as a parent and only let your kids see a bunch of dogs that you know all will be fine no matter which one they pick from that. So let's say it all goes well and you end up getting the dog. Now that you may end up in a lottery situation at the shelter if there's multiple people who want them and then you may not get him or her. I mean, there's so many things that can happen in the way the shelter assigns that. They may want to evaluate you and then they want to evaluate other dogs you may have. There's other things that every shelter is a little different require for adoption. But there's too many different options to go into those. They will be unique to the shelter you're going to. So don't worry about that too much. They're all reasonable things. It's not that they're going to be um, unreasonable. These are things that make sense. And then let's say you get your dog. He now had his spare neurosurgery and now he comes home. So you rescue the dog and you feel sorry for this being that you rescued from this prison cell they were just in. A lot of people don't want to crate their dogs or crate them their dogs because he was locked up in a shelter. I just got him out of a cell. I don't want to put him in another one. That's not good thinking. Because a kennel, a crate, a dog run in a home with a family, in a loving environment where there's care, where the dog is like paid attention to and played with, is something entirely different than the mass lockup at the shelter in the kennels there where there is blood and feces and urine smells everywhere and the dogs smell the death from the vet area where they euthanize animals. Right? It's a completely different environment in a shelter than it is in your home. So don't think of it from the perspective of I don't want my dog to be locked up again because he was just locked up that is a bad thing. He just does have all the freedom in the world the moment he enters my home. That's not the best move when you bring a dog home. 
you both have to get to know each other. Your dog has to get to know your life and your lifestyle and all the family members. And you have to get a feel for your dog and what he can or she can and cannot handle. So your dog may be not able to deal with screaming children all day long. You need to kind of see that in a safe way before something happens that is a little bit more um, unpleasant. Let's put it that way. He nips a kid or something because he can't handle all the stress that comes from all the screaming kids. So you want to introduce the dog into your home in a more structured manner. That doesn't mean you're going to do what I'm going to outline now forever. We're talking about a couple of weeks or months to get the dog acclimated to the environment he's going to be in and the people he's going to be living with. He's going to be so much happier if you give him some time. Don't overwhelm him. He doesn't know you either. He may want to get to know you. The dog needs to get to know you. So what I suggest is that when you bring your dog home, obviously he's been just fixed, so can't go on walks and things like that, which would be nice. I can explore the neighborhood a little bit. But on a leash, take him around the yard, let him sniff everything. Take him around the house, every room, let him sniff around. If he tries to lift the leg, pop him away. No, no, this way. Take him outside, make sure he pees there. And just let him sniff things, walk him around everywhere so he knows where everything is and sees everything. And have a crate ready for him. A crate that is not too big, not too small, just very comfortable. He can stand up, lie down, turn around, no problem. It's comfortable. Nice bedding, blanket, food, water, all in the crate. Chew toy, something, toys, whatever. And have that in the corner of the living room, for example. Or like an area where people go through a lot. Where there's a lot of traffic. Kitchen, or whatever your house has the most activity at. But just put it to the side. And maybe against the wall so there's only like two sides open. And maybe even cover one so there's only one side open. And then let your dog be. Let him be. Let him just like explore from a distance in a, in a safe space what goes on in your house. Let him watch that. And then, after maybe even just like an hour or a couple of hours, or depending on the dog sometimes, it's a good idea to do it for a couple of days or even a week. It really depends on the dog, right? But even just like a couple of hours with a dog that kind of seems to he wants to interact, let him out again on leash and maybe start playing with him. Start interacting with him. Pet him, give him some treats, start playing ball with him. Get to know each other. Become acquainted. And start facilitating the potty training process as, as you go through this as well. Because you have to show your dog where to go in your environment. We have a whole episode and a write-up and a bunch of stuff on housebreaking. So if you look at the podcast list, there's a housebreaking episode. It's a housebreaking article on the free training on the website. I encourage you to read them. Absolutely, you have to do that even with an adult dog for at least a couple of days in a new environment so he understands where to go. Because that's what housebreaking is. You teach your dog where to go. You don't teach him where not to go. You teach him where to go. So you have to facilitate that. So every time you take him out of the crate, you take him to the spot and show him that's the spot. Wait until he goes and then go about the, the rest of the day with him. So that, that's the initial phase. And you use this crate routine. He can go in and out of the crate like 20 times a day or 30 times a day. It doesn't matter. So don't feel you have to let him run loose everywhere, especially if you don't know what he's going to chew up or 
like enjoy chewing, munching on. <laughs> he may may chew on your, your your wooden cabinets, or he may eat your remote controls or stuff like that. So you don't know any of this about him. Make sure you supervise all interactions. So when he's outside the crate, he should be on a leash. He can drag one through the house, or ideally, he's tethered to you. So for the first couple of weeks, he is tethered to an adult at all times. He's not in the crate. So he, you can supervise him and see what will he try to access, what will he try to do, and give him some feedback. Uh, use, a, use a leash and a collar to show him, no, you can't do this, no, no you can't tuck pee here, no, you can't tuck on that, no, you can't grab that. <laughs> you have to show him what isn't isn't okay, and then also give him an outlet for things to, that are okay to choose, things that are okay to play with. So all this needs to be facilitated in a way that your dog can learn how your life works, how your house works, and you get to know what your dog is interested in. And through this process, you ease up on the controls. The better he behaves, the less leash time he has, the less crate time he has. And within a couple of weeks, he will be off the tethering and out of the crate most of the time. And that, will, that, that transition into your house will ease you in and prevent so many problems that can make your life really quite, quite miserable. You want to start with more structure initially and then ease up and start teaching things and accomplish clarity with less structure and more teaching. There's a whole episode on that as well. And just make sure you become a good team by clear communication both ways. You have to give your dog what he, need, he needs and... Um, you need to give your dog clarity that you need him to understand so he doesn't uh, chew up furniture. If he's younger, if he's under five months, five, six months old or so, he may be going through teething phases, the, the teething phase at this point. So his gums are a little sore and he's going to munch on everything that will make him feel more comfortable. That doesn't mean he's a destructive dog. It just means he's in a developmental stage that requires a lot of chewing. So crates, exercise pin, leashes, and bully sticks, and antlers, and other chew toys are your friend. <laughs> so, and then as, as they hit eight months, eight, nine months, when they become adolescents, basically, when they go from puppy to adolescence, all dogs become more rambunctious. So during this phase, you may want to introduce more structures, or a lot of dogs are surrendered because of that, because that can kind of persist past one year, year and a half or so, so if you get a dog around the one-year mark, there's a good chance it was a nice puppy and became rambunctious and then was surrendered because of that. So you, you want to establish some ground rules, some controls, and some structures initially so you can figure out what you're dealing with because you don't know. Yeah? No matter what they tell you at the shelter, you have no idea. And your dog will also start to be different a week or two in because his true personality of who he really is or she really is will only come out after your dog has become more acquainted and comfortable with the family and the house. He's going to live in now. So his personality takes a little bit to surface. And you will see some changes in behavior. He will get more comfortable. And he will probably test a little bit more and see more if he can get away with stuff and like try some things that seem interesting to him. So keep that in mind as you introduce the dog into, into the home. Now, in terms of uh, behavioral integration and, and, and uh, getting the dog accustomed, that's pretty much the, the, the gist of it. So you just want to have some structure and some controls with crates, leashes, and exercise pins. 
until you get to know each other and you can trust each other and you know what your dog's about and your dog knows what you are about. And then you ease up on everything and come smooth. Now, a couple other things. Um, whatever food he came with, it's worth exploring what uh, ideal foods your dog should eat. So based on the breed, if the breed's easy to identify, I personally recommend you do a, a genetic test to get A, the breed, but B, also a health, health checkup on your dog so you, you know what you're dealing with health-wise. Uh, maybe there's some genetic predispositions you have to be concerned about. I like the Embark Vet Test, E-M-B-A-R-C-V-E-T, vet.com. They have 185 genetic health tests in their, in their um, uh, test that you can run. It's a saliva swap, very simple. They send you a swap kit and you swap your dog's cheekbone out and send it in. So you get the breed ID and you also get the health check. So you, you know what you're dealing with. Is your dog a carrier for like degenerative myelopathy? Or is your dog at risk for degenerative myelopathy? Or is there any other things that um, you may need to invest uh, in some savings for potentially future surgeries or things like that? Or buy pet insurance. It's generally a good idea to buy pet insurance. Um, maybe sign up for care credits. They have like an emergency fund if something happens. There's all kinds of considerations around making sure your dog stays healthy and well, and you always have the means to help them. So I think I talked about this in, in another episode with vet veterinary care. Um, I suggest establishing a credit line or setting money aside, because that works too, for emergency vet bills, like an injury or something, because it can like instantly be like a five ten thousand $10,000 bill if something happens. So there is a care credit is an option. So if you have a decent credit score, you can apply for a credit line with care credit and just have that sit there. It doesn't cost you anything once it's set up. And just in case of emergencies, they will pay the vet and the vet will take the payment. And as a backstop for that, I recommend you sign up for vet insurance, pet, uh, pet, vet insurance, pet insurance. I personally like Embrace pet insurance. Tried a couple over the years that I left, but Embrace is the one I have now. I'm happy with them. They've been, they've been good uh, for the things that I needed. And they've actually paid very um, without any problems on things that they could have questions because it happened pretty much after a dog, something happened after a dog cleared an orthopedic check and like three, four months later was diagnosed with um, hip dysplasia. But he cleared, a, he cleared an orthopedic check before at a vet. So it's kind of like, how did he clear that? But it just developed after. Something happens. But the timing was interesting, and my, my vet insurance never gave me problems about it, which I appreciate, because um, they could have questioned what happened here, right? That's a little interesting timing. But they were good, so that's why I like them. So then you have a backstop, so you have a health insurance, have a pet insurance on the back end. It takes a couple of weeks to get reimbursed, and the, the, the vets do not wait for that payment. They want to get paid sooner, and care credit will take care of that sooner payment. If you have an emergency money set aside anyways for the family and you have enough set aside, maybe up the, the emergency budget, you don't need to get that credit line, that's fine. Just use that emergency money and then get reimbursed via pet insurance. But pet insurance I recommend in general. And then another thing, food. So whatever food he was on, food's breed specific and we have food episodes I recommend you also listen to our episode number 31 where I talk to canine nutritionist Kay Stewart very interesting about nutrition and food in general but here's a tip it's something I recommend you do with the dog breed that you have on our webpage there's a free copy of the book canine nutrition by William Cusick 
that book isn't a new book. It's a PDF file. Uh, William Kusick passed away, I don't know, um, six, seven years ago, maybe. I don't, it's been a while. And he gave his book, the PDF version of his book, away on his own website before he was, uh, when he read it, it's disappeared. And it was, uh, I think, that was wkusik.com was the name of his website. But he had the PDF version free for people to take. It's from 1996-1997, but it's an excellent book on canine nutrition. So it's not that it's outdated. It's just it's established knowledge. And he was a very good canine nutritionist who ended up uh, create, formulating uh, custom breed-specific recipes, which I have for my dog because I purchased it when he was still available and he was still alive. And so I have it for shepherds and for pit bulls. I have it for a couple of other breeds. But he, he wrote this book, Canine Nutrition, and the second edition PDF file is free on our website. So if you go to the health tab, you can find it there. And it's the same one he gave away on his website for free. And he's passed away, as I said. There's no succession plan that I'm aware of. But I'm sure somebody will let me know if they have an issue with it. No, take it off, of course. But it's always been free as long as I can remember. So I don't imagine there will be an issue. And so grab the PDF file. And in that, you can look up for your breed what the recommended proteins are and ingredients in the food should be. And even if you're not interested in cooking and making food yourself, it can inform you which bag to buy, which protein to buy, which version to buy. So um, Akana and Origin are brands I personally um, recommend a lot because they're high quality in terms of kibble. Um, it's, it's, as kibble goes, it's very good. And once you know what the proteins are, you can usually find something that is close to that or exactly the proteins that your breed should eat. And you can find something very healthy that is high quality. Um, yeah, so that, that's a little bit on, on food for your dog. But I think that's it. So that's, these are the overall tips I have for integrating your dog into your house, for setting yourself up for health care for your dog and um, um, finding the right food for your dog when you bring them home and make the integration into your home just a little bit easier. Then the next step after that, all of that would be to learn how to play with your dog properly and go into some training. I suggest play-based training, generally speaking. And there's tons of resources on our webpage. There's links to uh, streaming sources you can buy from Ivan Balabanov. And there's all kinds of things on the website on play-based training. I, I recommend that. Play with your dog. Play with your dog a game that you both can enjoy and learn how to do it well. And these training, these training videos can help you learn how to do it well. And then you can develop a really high reward, highly rewarding game that you and your dog have. And every day just play until your body gets tired. And you, you have a happy, healthy dog. You have a good relationship. And you have something super fun to do together that you can both enjoy. So I hope that was helpful. And uh, these tips can make the next integration of a new dog into your home a little smoother. And again, the, 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 the crate, kennel, and leash, all of that is just temporary, just to get everything settled and iron out the kinks and get to know each other. So don't think this is a permanent lifestyle I'm suggesting. It's definitely not. Your dog should have as much freedom as they can handle. And so I hope that was helpful. And uh, I'll see you next time. Bye. Oh,